Good afternoon, everybody. It's a great blessing for me to come to you today and bring you this good news of Jesus. Making this recording on Saturday afternoon, I'm here in Kalabu in Western Zambia, and it's an honor for me to just bring you grace, the gospel that changes lives. Today I'm going to be talking about the mercy of God, the outstanding, overwhelming mercy of God. I'm going to talk a little bit about the scripture that says God would rather have mercy than sacrifice and explain that a bit. I'm also going to talk about God being faithful and even teaching a baby in the womb that God wants to be faithful to that child. It is amazing if we think of the love that God has for us. We've been preaching and you guys have seen that we've been preaching under a tree a few Sundays ago and uh, we basically started a church uh, in one of these villages and we had an outreach what then happened at the end of the meeting is the local pastor pastor Munda just asked the people uh, who would be interested in helping us to start a church there and then two people who received Jesus there uh, came forward and then they came for some training uh, to start a fellowship there they've then had services uh, one or two times after that and just spoke about God and the goodness of God and the love of God. And um, they had about 30 people that has come to the uh, to the meeting. And that is amazing to see how this gospel is just touching people's lives. I met these two young men then again today. They came up to the property where we are building and just encouraged them. And they said that the people's feedback and what the people say is that the message is different to what they've ever heard. It was not an attack on anybody. It was not an attack on a church or a system or anything. It was just a gospel, the message of God's love for them. And that's what touched their hearts. So I'm sure we're going to see that that group of people gets uh, wisdom and knowledge in the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, having a life born from the persuasion that is now in their hearts. Well, before we start our service, I would like to just give a little bit of a, of a feedback on what we have been doing in this last week. So let us just watch this video together. Yeah, you guys can see we've put up the pillars around the house for the veranda. If it doesn't look straight on the video, the camera's effect on it makes things not look straight. But uh, things are really straight and level and whatever. So that is all around. They've done that. On the inside, they've done all the piping, basically for all the light sockets and wall plugs and, uh, and all of that. I must say that Christian is doing an excellent job. You can see there, everything is done. And they've also done a fairly good job on the steps it needs still to be rounded off and everything but that is done and then let's go and check the uh, fence how oh, they're busy with that right uh, this is gifts house we're going to build him this is the the guy that is just uh, the security and helping me here uh, we're going to build him a house as well after my house we're going to have 
a place for him to stay and he's also the person that's doing the fence you can see all the way to the other side um, and then up to his house we've done it and then we've got a, an open uh, gap here because we drive through here all the time with the vehicle and they've done towards the other side and then around the corner uh, so yeah there you can see they saw they're busy continuing going all the way to the other side so uh, things are moving they've also put the frame up So you can see the frame, the structure's up for the reeds to be put up and I'm here at the gate, the bottom of the property. Uh, there is the house over there. Yeah, so we are quite busy. They've also done, um, we could not find enough poles for the whole property so we've placed an order. They'll bring some poles next week, Tuesday. I'm going to just show you one more thing. Alright, so over here we are uh, putting a little uh, room where the water tank will be in. We'll stand outside but it will be closed. And then on the side will just be a little room where we will have the um, I think it's liquid gas or whatever you call it. It's, uh, uh, yeah, for the uh, geyser. And then in front of that, we're going to have a outside shower and uh, toilet facilities there for people when they um, when they visit. So yeah, that's what we what we've been doing. Things were going a bit slow this week, according to my liking. But uh, I think we've we've done enough for this week. Well, there you have it. We've just been busy this whole week, and now. Uh, the reason why I'm also making this recording on Saturday is we've received news that we have to go and sign some documents in um, Lusaka. We've got we've applied for a workers' permit here and we've got temporary permits and ach, there's so many things. So we are heading to Lusaka tomorrow morning and uh, we have to be at the South African Embassy there on Monday morning. So it's about a, <coughs> according to Google, 10-hour drive Google Maps so it's about 600 and something kilometers but the roads aren't that good I was thinking of maybe making a bit of a video and showing you guys how we travel we'll still think about that and uh, if um, if we're going to do that or not but I think it would be interesting we're also going to go through the Kafui National Park maybe we see last time we've been through there we saw elephants so it might be that we see some uh, animals there again uh, now we're going to get right into the message uh, about the mercy of God and um, yeah the first uh, let me just open it up here the first verse we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 12 and this is the passage where Jesus says go and learn what this means I will rather have mercy than sacrifice and so many times we've read that scripture and we interpreted as instead of bringing a sacrifice to God we should rather be merciful to people but that's not what that passage means although it would also uh, have that as a fruit but I think the passage would mean rather mean that God is not interested in you bringing sacrifices to him but he's rather interested in being merciful to you 
that is what it is. God would rather have mercy on you than have your sacrifice. So many times we think that we need to sacrifice certain things so that God can be, well, pleasing to us. Now, when the Bible says, offer yourself a living sacrifice unto God, uh, you know, that can be well-pleasing to him and so forth, we need to offer ourselves. How do you offer yourself? And we're going to look at that today and how David did that. Now, let me read from Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on to the Sabbath day, excuse me, at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the, the ears of the corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Behold, your disciples do what is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and they were and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. So David did the same. That's basically what he said. See, there was a greater need uh, at hand than the need of the type in the shadow that was uh, was there. And it also then served as a type in the shadow on what David and them did. Okay, verse 5. Well, have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, and yet they are blameless? So the, ten, the, the, the priests do things that are not allowed to be done on the Sabbath. They're working. They're doing their duties. Uh, they kindling fire, they're doing things that's not lawful to be done, yet they are blameless. Now, what does that mean? How is that possible? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I will have mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Now, that's a very, very powerful passage. It talks about the washing of hands and they or working, uh, eating, also eating with unwashed hands is also another thing they did. But the whole concept here is that these people are not following after the law and they are eating and doing what is unlawful. And Jesus then came and he mentioned two things. He mentioned how David and his people went in to eat the showbread in the house of God and how the priest even profaned the Sabbath and they are still blameless. And then he goes on, he says, if you have understood that God rather would have mercy on people than receive sacrifices from them or obedience to the customs of the law, uh, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And what he was basically saying is, is that his disciples was not guilty because there was a greater need than the type and shadows of the Sabbath day and that was these people were hungry and they needed, they wanted to eat. And then there was someone that is greater, there was someone there that is greater than the temple himself and that is Jesus Christ himself. And I also was thinking and it was translated there that uh, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. So that means that um, Jesus is greater than the Sabbath, but it also means that man, we, are greater than the Sabbath. Because David 
did the same thing. David on the Sabbath day, uh, excuse me, David went in in the temple and he was greater than those than the showbread. He's not greater than Jesus, but he's definitely greater than the showbread, which was a type and a shadow. The purpose God has with man is not to rest on the Sabbath day, but rather to receive his kindness that meet the needs they have. Having the hunger for life stilled is the goal. The purpose God has with man is not to rest on the Sabbath day, but rather to receive his kindness. God's purpose is that we would receive his kindness. We find the same with David. David, as well as his men with him, did what was unlawful. Yet in their unlawful act, they were holy in what they did, turning to the house of God for food. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? Because that is what God wanted to do. God's goal was not to have showbread in a house. God's goal was not to have bread in a house. God's goal was that man's hunger for righteousness can be satisfied. That was his goal. The problem with the Pharisees was that they condemned those who were basically receiving mercy and they didn't give mercy. They didn't allow for mercy. They were just looking at the law. They didn't understand what David understood, which we're still going to look at. Now, if Jesus says, learn what this means, that I would rather have mercy than sacrifice, I think it's important that we should learn what it means. What does the scripture say about that? What does he say about mercy? What is the meaning of the word mercy? What is this whole thing about sacrifices and so forth? And why would God rather have that? Now, I want to tell you one can do many, many sessions on this explaining this. But let me just get into some of the Greek and Hebrew meanings of the word mercy. And this is just absolutely mind-blowing. I've preached on this uh, years ago. And um, it was just so nice to go through it again yesterday in my, in my preparation. And I mean, this whole week, Lynn and I we were talking about the mercy of God, uh, Psalm 50, Psalm 51, and so forth. And it was just, we were just thinking, meditating upon this. And then I said, well, let me minister on this. And here's the Greek meaning of the word mercy. It simply means kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted joined with a desire to help them. Now, uh, you know, sometimes you might... Uh, if you live in an area where there are a lot of uh, financially poor people and people coming to your vehicle and begging, you might quickly go and give a guy a dollar or ten rand or something and it's like, oh, just take it and let's go. And you might have an action of kindness towards that person in giving him something. But listen to what mercy means in the Greek here. Kindness or goodwill towards the miserable. Oh, well, that's just a miserable person. That's kindness and goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted. Do you know that humanity has been afflicted by death? Do you know that humanity has been afflicted by sin? Sin is not just something you do. Something, sin is something humanity is enslaved to. We are under a slave master that has enslaved us. That is what is taking, what was taking place. We are not enslaved anymore. We have believed on the Lord. We are now enslaved under righteousness, meaning that we are being blessed by the good action of God. We are enslaved under God's good action towards us. 
Now, that's still powerful when we say that kindness and goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted. You might feel miserable sometimes. You might feel afflicted sometimes. And I want to tell you that mercy and a God of mercy is a God that would rather have mercy on you. He would rather have kindness and goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted. And that's, and, and it, and there's something more than that. And that is that it's also joined with a desire to help them. So it's basically mercy is actions of goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted that is basically born from a desire to help them. Do you know that God wants to help you? Do you know that God wants to help the world? God is not against the world. When he sees a person in need, he cannot look the other way. I'm thinking of the man that was on his way uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho and then on the way fell amongst the thieves and they beat him up and stole everybody, you know, stole from him and everything. But we can find the priests and the Levites and all those walking by, but we cannot find the Good Samaritan walk by because what draws him is the desperation of people, the pain, the hurt, the rejection, the true bondage that that person is. And he was lying next to the road, half naked. He was uh, exposed to elements. He was lying there. He was rejected by people. People would look the other way. They don't want to even touch them. Maybe they can become unclean or whatever it is. It might even be that people would say, but this is what this person deserve. But we find the Good Samaritan, the Bible says he had compassion. His innermost being started to turn in protest against the condition that that person is in. And that's exactly what what a good example of mercy. That would be the action of goodwill then. It would be the, the action of basically uh, helping the person up and so forth. It's also called love. These things are very close, closely knit together. Mercy in the Hebrew, and we're going to get a bit deeper into, into the Hebrew here. Mercy in the Hebrew uh, probably perhaps means the following. It's like a, a difficult definition on what it is. It means to bow the neck in courtesy to an equal. In other words, to see someone. Say, I see you. You know, it's like greeting, acknowledging. To bow the neck in courtesy to an equal. That is to be kind. So you see someone else. Greetings like that. I see you. I honor you. So when God is a merciful God and would rather have mercy, he would rather see you. He would rather uh, 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 acknowledge you. And he wants you to know that you are seen by him. That is the first part of the word mercy. It can also be compared to the Hebrew word two, um, 2603, which we're going to look at. It means to be kind and to show self-merciful and even to be willing to put yourself to shame in helping another. To show self-merciful or to put to shame. So uh, you can basically show yourself as a person that helps someone else and in helping someone else you might be mocked by others 
I've seen that many times in my life. When you want to show mercy to a person and others would say, why do you show mercy to this person? Can't you see he's just in it to get money from you or this or that or whatever. But mercy is to say, well, I'm going to show mercy to this person. I'm willing to see him for who he truly is. That word, uh, to bow the neck, means and comes from the root word of the following. In other words, I see you for who you are. That's the first part. And the second part means to bend down or stoop in kindness to an inferior. So God honors us as equals, but then he also will step down to an inferior. He knows that we are his children and he honors us as his children part of his family, equal in the family, but he would also know that we are mere mortals, and as we have read previous Sundays, that God knows that we are just dust, Psalm 103. We are just dust as all. He's, he's knowledgeable of that, and therefore he loves us as dear children, so he'll acknowledge us as dear, dear children, but also mindful of our weakness. To bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior, to favor, to bestow favor, or to implore. That is to move to favor by petition. In other words, he wants to move you into favor. That is what it means, to entreat, to be merciful, to have mercy, to have pity upon, and to make supplication. It also comes from the word barak, which means to kneel uh, in order to bless. So when God has mercy on you, is when he honors you as his, and he steps down to the place where he beholds, because he beholds your weakness, your distress, the pain, the difficulty that you are in, and he then wants to alleviate your, dis your stress and your distress and bring peace and kindness to you. That is what it means. So now, when Jesus says, go and learn what this means, I would rather have mercy than sacrifice. What is basically say, I would rather acknowledge you. I would rather step down and kneel down and lift you up in the order to help you. I would rather uh, be kind towards somebody that's in a miserable condition, that is even miserable himself, and is afflicted. And I will rather uh, join my efforts with the willingness inside my heart to help this person than for that person who is in that state and in that condition to now come and try and bring sacrifices and all those kind of things uh, to, to, um, to, to God. So yeah, that is what he's saying here. Now, I hope this, um, I just want to see if I can set the light a bit brighter here. Yeah, because it's becoming dark. Okay, <laughs> there we go. So, mercy is what happens in from God's side when he does good to a person that's in a difficult situation, from a willing heart to do so. Now, we cannot receive mercy unless we have seen our need. So God sees the need and he wants to meet it. And when we are at a place where we can say, God, I need mercy. I, I'm at a place where 
I see my own inability. That's when we receive mercy. And that was also the purpose of the law. It was to show you your inability and your weakness. Examples of mercy in the Old Covenant would be from Psalm 51. This is a very, very powerful example. Let me read. David says to God, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would have brought it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, or I would have brought it. Now listen to what he's saying here. He says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. So what he's saying is, is God, uh, and this is having mercy instead of sacrifice. Because David says God does not want sacrifices, but all I can basically give him is, I can say to him, God, I bring to you my broken heart and my contrite, or my, my, my broken spirit and my contrite heart. What does it mean to have a broken spirit? Having no hope, the source of life is drying up, the expectation is of death. And that we can read in Job 17 verse 1. That is a broken spirit. It means the source of life. Remember, your spirit, according to Hebrew people, was uh, that which gives life. Now, if that which gives life is broken, it's an issue. <laughs> uh, Elena and I, we are driving to uh, Lusaka tomorrow. And thank God that we have a reliable vehicle. But imagine we must, something happens in halfway, the vehicle's engine breaks. Now, <laughs> you've got a broken engine. If you've got a broken engine, I mean, th there's no hope of reaching. All of a sudden, there's stress. All of a sudden, there is, it's, it's not nice. Worries. Now, what if you have a broken spirit? So what David is saying here, God, you don't want sacrifices. So I don't have to give a sacrifice to persuade you. I don't have to do that. I don't have to bring burnt offerings to persuade you. You've got no desire in that. So what will I do to get God to help me out of my distress? Well, there's nothing I can do. But one thing I do know is that as I throw myself upon him for, and, and he sees my condition, I know this one thing for sure. And that is that he will not despise a broken spirit, person who's got no hope. A person that is absolutely in distress. A person that says, my source of life is drying up and my expectation is that of death. A broken heart means four things in the, in, in the Hebrew there. Uh, uh, I mean a contrite heart. It also means broken heart or brokenness of bones. A heart that is flooded with guilt. A person that is injured and also to be crumbled or bruised. That's what it means. Broken hearted means to be crumbled or bruised. Even in the Hebrew, it's got a, um, if you take the picture values of the word for this broken, it, it, it talks about a seed. And I, I just want to say this, excuse my very dirty hands. I got some glue on here that it, it takes days to get it off. But, 
have mercy. <laughs> I just show God my hands and then I easily, well, let me help this guy. <laughs> he will not let it go by. Uh, it's, my, it's not my good works and faithfulness coming to Zambia, whatever. But what, what the reason why God is for me is he knows that I am uh, just a human. And he has made promises to me from his love and he, who he is as a person, as a life giver. He cannot just let go. As what a mother, the Bible even says a mother can forget a child, but God will never forget us. <laughs> Amen. Now, um, in the pictograph of the word for broken, it is that of a, uh, a cup which was made out of stone basically and a seed inside it that is ready to be crushed and flour be made out of it, to be completely crushed and grinded to powder. So when you say my heart is broken or I've got a contrite heart, it means that my heart is grinded to powder. There's nothing. I'm, I just see absolute destruction. He says God cannot overlook that. Just let me make it very um, easy to understand. You know, we so many times, I, I don't think people do it that much anymore, but Years ago, we were into the tithing, sowing and reaping and all those kind of things. And then we would give a tithe. And that tithe, we would think, would get God to move. No, the tithe is not what get God to move. The fact that people struggle is what get God, gets God to move. And start to, and he starts to reach out to them and touch their hearts and bring them the gospel. That is what it is. People in distress under the power of sin and death. That's what moves God, and that what that, that's what brings brings life. Um, that, that that's what gets. He will not overlook that. He will not disregard that. The person can be at a place, and I just want to say this once again. I want to just bring that uh, uh, this word. You know, uh, a sacrifice might be despised because the sacrifice wasn't done in the right order. But a broken heart cannot be despised. You might do the sacrifice wrong and be disqualified by your action when you did it wrong. But if you can, but God sees your pain and therefore he will bring his promise towards you. Hallelujah. So, a broken spirit, contrite heart. Broken spirit, contrite heart doesn't talk about a humble heart. Oh God, you know, I come with a contrite heart before you. No, it's a person that is utterly depressed. We can uh, go and look at Second Corinthians 1 verse 8 where Paul says, and I think let me read it, Second uh, Corinthians. I apologize for the light going down. Once the house is finished, then we will have a proper studio lighting and everything in there again. You might say, oh, well, I don't care much about that. Well, I do. <laughs> okay. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.8, We do not want to be, uh, we don't do, excuse me, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. That's the condition that that is what God looks at and that 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 moves him. Amen. 
So if you think that you're in that situation, you think, I don't have power to do anything. Oh God, I don't even know how am I going to pray or whatever. No, he sees that and it will not be despised by him. Amen. Right, let's read it, look at uh, a few more verses. Psalm 50 verses 9 to 15. Listen to what God says here. He says, listen, my people, I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charge against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. He says, I bring no charge against those things. Why? Because I have no need of bulls from your stall or goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not have told you. Say, so, oh, God is hungry for something we wanted. No, no, he would not have told him. So he says, I'm not even talking about the sacrifices, because I'm not even interested in that. He says, do I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? <laughs> no. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. He says, sacrifice, thank offering to God. So, if you want to give something to God, rather see what He's doing for you for free. And to the point that thankfulness rises in your heart. God is also not interested in you faking thankfulness. He wants you to be truly at a place where you can see what the law brings your way, which is, I am a person that by my own works will never have eternal life, but God gives me eternal life as a free gift by His love, and that brings thankfulness towards me, and I'm saying thank you, God. He says, I don't want all these sacrifices. I would rather have for you to have a revelation on what I'm giving you. That is what He would have. He says, fulfill your vows to the Most High. Which What was the vows to the Most High? It was God, you come, and I'm not going to have time to do that now, but you can go into Exodus 34. You come and live amongst us. We allow you to come and live amongst us. We ask you to live amongst us. And please then pardon our sins and take us for your inheritance. We make room for you. We believe upon you and not upon our own abilities. It is for you to guide us out. It's for you to give us life. And the vow we have towards God is that God... You are our God, and you are our Savior. Keep to that. Don't become your own Savior. Listen to this. God would rather have this. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Now, what I like about this verse 14 and 15. Verse 14 and 15, the way I read it, is that 15 follows on 14 in this sense, that it's a further explanation of 14. He basically says, do I eat the flesh of bulls and goats and all those kind of things? Am I in the need of sacrifice? I'm not. What you can rather do is, call on me in the day of your trouble and I will deliver you. And so you will honor me. You don't honor me through your sacrifice. The way you honor me is when I am good to you, to the point that gratitude is born in your heart. That is what the word grace means. The word grace in the Greek is the divine influence upon the heart plus the acting out in the life, including gratitude. Man, isn't that just simply, simply amazing? 
So what the scripture says is that God is not moved by our sacrifice. He's moved by the situation that we are in and the bondage that that, that humanity is in. And he's moved by his passion to bring life to his people and give them eternal life. Isaiah 42 says it this way. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one and whom I delight. I put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will he not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teachings the islands will put their hope as the Gentiles. So what he's saying is, is that he will not, he will not, let me just brighten this up even a bit more. He will not despise, he will not despise um, the broken reed, the person that doesn't have any life. He will reach out to him. He will be good to him. It's not by that person's work. And that is Jesus's job. I want to uh, read another verse here and I'm quickly going to find it in Isaiah uh, 51 I was just thinking of that and I don't want to miss out on that I'm going to pause this and find the scripture and then uh, uh, read it to you this is I said Isaiah I meant uh, Psalm 51 verse 4 this is what it says here David talking to God about his condition now this is just prior to the the verses that we have quoted about creating me a clean heart, heal my heart, and so forth. That's another thing. Creating me a clean heart, O oh God. What that means is, could you restore my source of life, please? Could you take this, my, my whole belief system that's crushed and heal me, please? Could you restore my body to the hope of eternal life, please? That is what it means. But listen to what he says here. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from a time my mother conceived me. So in other words, what he says is, now some people say no, he was conceived in sin, meaning that his mother wasn't faithful and he was conceived in sin, something like that. I want to just read it as what this translation says it here, because that's very powerful. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. Now, how can you desire faithfulness from a baby in the womb? Now, it doesn't mean that. I think what it means is, is that God, from the womb, when I was conceived, even when I was conceived, I was conceived, and when I was conceived, I was a mortal. And even in the mortal, God, even in that state as a baby, in the womb, God desired to be faithful towards me, faithful towards the promise that he made from before the world began. Listen to this. You desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Already in the womb, God was speaking to David, when the cell, when the cells was multiplying, just multiplying, multiplying, it was then already that God communicated that He wants to be faithful towards us and love us. Isn't that absolutely merciful? That is the mercy of God. Now, 
uh, I'm going to end off by looking at us, uh, Exodus 25. And I'm just going to mention this quickly. We're running out of daylight here. The Ark of the Covenant is also called, on the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was the place where God honors us and bows down and come and meets our needs. If it is a mercy seat and a throne of grace, you cannot expect anything but mercy and grace from it. I've said it so many times, I want to say it again. There's a, a, a shop here in, um, in Mongu that sells chicken and I find a lot of people love to go there. It's called Hungry Lion. Now, if I go to Hungry Lion and I find, tell them, listen man, uh, can you sell me spare parts for my car? They would laugh at me. They would say no. If we say I want to buy clothes, they would say no. They would say we, we're selling food, chicken. That's what you want. If, if that's what you want, we can get it. But why? Because it's a restaurant. That's what it is. Uh, it's not a spare shop. In the very same way, if you go to the throne of mercy, what do you expect? God's enthroned. He is enthroned in grace and mercy and love and kindness. That is, that is who he is. That is what he brings. And we find the mercy seat as the empty grave. Because in John 20 we see that as what there was on the mercy seat, a, a cherub on the one or an angel on the one side, an angel on the other side, and the mercy seat in the middle, we find the empty grave as God's seat of mercy where he bows down sees us in our mortal state and knows that we are only dust and offer his life to us. So God would rather have you receive eternal life as a free gift than try and bring sacrifices to him from your own strength to try and get him to move on your behalf. And that is what I want to leave you with. Know that you are deeply loved by God. Know that you are cared for by God. Know that He smiles over you. Knows that His heart is moved when He sees you in a difficult time. And the difficult time is not uh, when God is the furthest from you. That's when He's with you, although you might not feel it. He is there and He does bring a change. I end off with this. The Bible says, many are the afflictions of, afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers them out of them all. Hallelujah. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to serve you with this message. I want to say thank you to the people that follow uh, our trip here to Zambia and whose heart is with what we are doing here. Thank you so much, and we will talk again then next week. God bless.